Hosea chapter seven tonight. Husband and wife, the story is told, were driving down the road when they accidentally hit a cat on the road. And they stopped and the cat was dead. And this little old lady came out of her house. Oh, that's my cat. And they felt horrible. And she just said, you know, I'm, I'm really having a hard time getting around. At least could you guys do, you know, dispose of, of the, this poor cat of mine. I, I just don't have the energy to deal with it. And so she, uh, she, she asked the couple, well, the couple didn't know what to do, but they thought, oh, okay. And, and so they, they had a, a Nordstrom bag in their car and they, uh, they just just kind of scooped the cat off the pavement and stuck it in the bag and, and put it in the back trunk. But they were on their way to meet another couple at the mall for dinner at one of the restaurants there. And uh, so they pulled their car up and they were getting ready to go to the restaurant. I thought, man, should we leave that cat sitting in our, you know, like smelling in our trunk of our car in this hot evening? And they thought, well, let's just take the bag out and put it on the back trunk of the car. And they just sat it outside, you know, the Nordstrom bag with the dead cat in it. Well, they were sitting there in the restaurant when they were shocked. This lady in a Mercedes drove up and parked her car and she just walked in and she saw this Nordstrom bag on the back of a car. She just quickly nonchalantly walked by and grabbed the bag and just started walking into the, the mall with this bag. And to their shock and amazement, she walked into the very store or restaurant where this couple was sitting there like, what, is, what does this lady think she's doing? Um, well, the lady with sort of a look of uh, confidence and like she really got away with something, she orders her food and the bag's sitting there and she finally gets the bag up and starts to look to see what she got. <laughs> and she opened the bag and boom, she freaked out and had a heart attack right there. And she fell down on the ground, you know, and, and the bag was there. And well, the paramedics came and everything. There was quite a, a stir. And they stuck this poor woman on the, on the gurney and hauled her off. And, um, and they're like, this is her shopping bag. As, as they were putting her in the ambulance, they kind of set the bag right on her chest there and rolled her into the <laughs> ambulance and took her off. Um, um, Numbers 32, 23, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. You, you think you've pulled it off. You think you're gonna get away with it. But as the story goes over and over and over again, uh, we actually don't. Um, and it's, it's an interesting day we're living because we see these parallels of the people of Israel and the days that we're living. And I, I hope you're starting to see that, man, humanity hasn't really changed all that much. You know, we, we kind of do our thing and we kind of, you know, think that we're getting more evolved or uh, more intelligent or whatever. But when you read your Bible, especially these people that are a couple thousand years ago, same, same as us. Same ideas, same mentality, same sinful tendencies. And, and some of the stuff we're seeing even right now in the news, have you noticed sort of a flaunting of sin? There's a flaunting of sin. Um, you know, that is to be prideful about sin. You know, this guy, I don't even wanna mention his name, but the guy that drove through the Christmas parade. Um, you know, this guy was a rapper who was going and talking about how he was a terrorist. Some of his lyrics in his songs, he, was, he said, I'm a terrorist and I'm gonna kill people in the city and blah, blah, blah. And he boasted these in his rap stuff. And, and yet it's, it's amazing to me that the, the police are afraid to actually call what he did terrorism when he drove his SUV through a, a little Christmas parade, uh, killing six now. And a little boy died yesterday, uh, again, six people total. And, and the number of injured is kind of, uh, they're still figuring that out, over 40 people uh, brutally injured. But this horrible, uh, really act of of terror, but, but it's, it's amazing when you see the different sides of different political arguments and stuff and how some people ignore certain crimes and then focus on others and, and 
make stuff up. And uh, it's just, we're living in a, a culture that really is quite messed up. And it shouldn't shock us in some ways, as sad as it is, because the Bible says lawlessness in the last days would be uh, increasing. The idea of people who couldn't care about the law or what have you. But all that to say, uh, you know, this, this passage, the Lord's calling the people out for their arrogance and their prideful sinning in the face of God uh, without any ashamed uh, heart. It's almost like Israel did their sins before, but they were sort of ashamed of their sins. But as they got further down this path of you know, sinfulness and debauchery, they started to become prideful about their sins. Hey, look at us, look what we're doing and, and who cares about God and all that. And we're gonna see the Lord call them out. And really like we began uh, last Wednesday night in chapter four, and then on Sunday, we uh, saw chapter five and six, we're seeing the prosecution in a sort of a courtroom kind of scene where the Lord is indicting these people. And uh, we saw the opening arguments in chapter four. We saw the prosecution start really going, but we continue with that prosecution here in chapter seven against the people of Israel. It's like the Lord wants to say, I'm putting this on record to show you guys that you have sinned against the Lord and, and that you are guilty. One of the things you have to understand is this idea of justice and righteousness and God being the judge and this courtroom scene, one thing you should be cognizant of is this. God cares about, uh, you know, what, what we would call justice or, you know, the, the, our justice system at work. You know, um, we, we look in America and people wonder, is our justice system, you know, corrupt or whatever? But even some of the, uh, you know, rulings of the last few days even, um, I think we're seeing in some ways our justice system working. But if you didn't know this, our justice system is based on the Bible. If you go back to the early founding of this nation, you find out that, wow, these guys were Bible readers and Bible believers, and they used a lot of the biblical notions of, of justice and all that. And so we're seeing that. Uh, the sad thing is uh, in our culture, while we might have a system that's okay, the problem is you add sinful people to that system and it ends up being kind of messed up. And that's when we do see corruption in our culture is because of sinful people. But as it turns out, God cares about the optics and he wants people to know, man, if they're guilty, I'm, the Lord's saying, I'm gonna show you that you're guilty and he's gonna prove that. Uh, there's no, you know, there's, there's no uh, calling someone guilty without saying, here's why you're guilty. They're gonna, the Lord makes it clear. And that's really why the Lord is showing the people, here's why you guys are going down because you've sinned and you've done you know, these things. And so we continue with this prosecution here in chapter seven. And if you would, we'll just call this chapter seven, the prosecution continues. Here we go. It says this in um, verse one, when I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoileth without. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. Interesting, the Lord says, I would have healed. If you recall last uh, Sunday, when we were looking at chapter six and, uh, pardon me, chapter five and six, 
We saw that the Lord sort of compared himself to a lion tearing them up and even the word cutting. Do you remember that? He, they, they were sort of cut to, to ribbons and, and you'd say, well, why would God cut his own people? That's horrible. But the Lord is doing this, if you recall, he mentioned it, it was a corrective, uh, not punitive, but corrective sort of deal that he was doing with the children of Israel to try to save them from certain doom and peril. And the Lord says, I know that I did cut you in chapter five and chapter six, but I would have healed you. I would have brought you back and, and healed your wounds and even bound them up. We, we saw that even last week when the Lord was kind of ending. He's saying, oh man, I would have, I would have healed you. Uh, look at verse uh, one of chapter six, just to remind you from Sunday. The Lord says, come and let us return unto the Lord, the men of Israel, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us. Well, why would God smite and cut and, and tear uh, when, when he loves the people of Israel? Well, you might ask this question. Why would a physician or a surgeon cut into a person's body with a scalpel? Um, well, you're hoping that the surgeon's doing it for a good reason. You know, if, a, if, a, if, a, if you walked into a, a, a doctor's office and you had a baseball, softball-sized tumor on your arm, and you say, uh, that's a problem. And, and the doctor says, yeah, that's a problem. What is it? It's cancer. Okay, well, what are you gonna do about it? Well, because I like you, I really don't wanna cut you. So I'm just, we're just gonna let that tumor grow on your arm. And I'm sure it's a cancerous tumor, but you know, I don't wanna be guilty of wounding you or cutting you. You would say, that doctor's a quack. That doctor has to cut and he's gotta do it, painful as it is. It's something that needs to be done or else the person's gonna you know, die of, of uh, the results of leaving that cancerous tumor there. And in the same way, the Lord is saying, I had to cut you and the, the goal is to restore you and to heal you. But, but here's, here's where he says, I would have healed you. I would have, I would have blessed you, but, but you would not even have me do that. The Lord's saying here in chapter seven, verse one, you wouldn't even let me do what is supposed to be healing for you. I would have healed you, Israel, but the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria. Now, uh, Samaria was kind of like the main region of that Northern 10 tribes. We're talking about the Northern 10 tribes. Hosea is the prophet of the Northern 10 tribes. And Samaria was sort of one of the epicenters of that people group. Um, and, uh, you know, but they were also working out, you know, these ways to, to worship other gods. Baal worship was prevalent in that time. So they'd worship God and they'd worship Baal. Um, and, and then it says, but they would commit falsehood, verse one, and the thief comes in and the troop of robbers spoileth without. Um, they're getting ripped off is the idea here. Um, uh, one of the things we're seeing in our culture is smash and grab. Are you seeing that even this week? These, uh, you know, stores, uh, uh, you know, they're starting to say, man, we've got to, um, we've got to figure out how to keep these stores from being robbed and destroyed and all that. Uh, again, Babylon B comes up with another great one with, uh, they had uh, stores wisely put scarecrows of Rittenhouse uh, in front of the, their stores so, so that nobody will go and they might rob other stores instead. I, I just find that those guys are brilliant, I have to say, it's pretty funny. Um, but all that to say, um, you know, this smash and grab thing, it, you know, you, you kind of look at that on the news and think, oh, that's so sad, some business owner's getting his you know, life work destroyed there. Um, and we just kind of go, oh, shame, whatever. But the Lord is saying that really, you're, that's happening to Israel. You're being ripped off. 
You're being robbed, as it says here in verse one, and, and you're being spoiled. And the Lord says, they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Man, that's, that's a brutal thing if you think about it. The Lord says, you, you know, you're, you think you're pulling it off, you think you're getting all this sinful stuff, you're getting away with it, but you're not only getting ripped off, but I, I remember the Lord has a, a, a perfect memory which that's, the, that's a tough bit of news, especially if you're a sinner like me or like you, right? When the Lord says, I remember all your wickedness, but see, while the Lord has a perfect memory and can remember all the wickedness, the Lord also has the perfect ability to forget if he wants to. Uh, what do you mean, Brett? If, uh, that's not a perfect memory. No, wouldn't it be great if you had the skill to forget things and then to remember things perfectly? Why is it that we remember things we wanna forget and we forget the things we wanna remember? The Lord is the opposite of that. The Lord can remember things he will remember, he chooses to remember, but he also has this amazing ability to uh, forget. Because otherwise, verse two would be horrifying to me. If I were to stand before God and God say, Brett, I remember every single little thing that you've done, um, man, you're in big trouble. But that would be horrifying, but good news. In fact, let me just remind you of, you know, what the Bible actually says about this, and this is important. Um, it's it's uh, the book of Hebrews chapter uh, eight, verse 12. What, what is that? Well, Hebrews eight twelve 12 uh, says this, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Man, I love that. The Lord has that ability to erase his memory and uh, truly let you uh, go free because of the Lord's goodness. Now that's the Lord that we serve. He forgave their iniquities. So all that is what the Lord's planning on doing with the children of Israel, but the problem is they're not wanting to repent of their iniquities. See, that's the problem. If you are a sinner who is repentant and you say, Lord, I recognize my sin and I acknowledge it before you and I, I want you to forgive me, then the Lord says, then I will forgive you. But if you're saying, whatever, I'm gonna keep sinning and do whatever I want to, then the Lord's saying, then I can't forgive you, I can't. If you're unrepentant, then you are stuck in your sins. And uh, you have to realize that's what these people are doing. And the phrase there in verse two is kind of a, a phrase we use today when we say, man, you're, you're, you know, get in your face. Getting in your face, what does that mean? Well, that's what these people are doing. They're doing this in the face of God. And it says that right here in verse two at the end. Um, you know, he says, I remember all your wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They're right in God's face doing their sinful deeds. And they make their king, verse three, glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. So everybody's involved, the kings and the princes, the leaders and the rulers, all of Israel's all busted out in great happiness because of their sinfulness. Uh, you know, we, we see that today where people are celebrating our sinfulness, gay pride. You know, it's amazing how that's just taken off where, you know, if you're, if you're uh, part of that LGBTQ community, how you're supposed to be so prideful about that. First of all, we shouldn't be prideful about anything, let alone things that the Bible calls sin. When the Bible calls it sin and the world is celebrating that, that's exactly what these people were doing in those days. Um, and by the way, if you follow your Bible and if you read much through the scriptures, one of the things you gotta understand in a, let's talk about a microcosm of a city or even a small nation, 
In the Bible, whenever a city or a nation gets to a point of flying in the face of God with their sin and, and being unrepentant and prideful about their sin, in the Bible, showing those small things, what ends up happening is those cities ended up being destroyed. Just ask the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you know, the Lord said, I'm gonna destroy the city because their pride, that's the, the Bible says it was their pride. It wasn't that they were homosexuals, they were that too in Sodom and Gomorrah but it was that they were prideful about their sin in the face of God. And here we see that with the children of Israel. They're, they're flaunting their, their sin in front of God and God says, because of that, you're gonna be destroyed. And they were gonna be destroyed. It would only be uh, shortly after Hosea prophesies against the Northern 10 tribes in 722, they'll, they'll be wiped out by the Assyrians. And God says, I did that because of your sin. Now, what's interesting about this is you and I live in an age where it's no longer cities or small countries, it's the whole world. The whole world has become prideful altogether in total harmony. We have flown in the face of God globally. It's because we're so connected and you know, now we're all linked um, you know, with communication and with media and we're all on the same page. And man, like, like with one voice, the whole world is now saying, Man, who cares about God? We're gonna do whatever we want. And, and the Bible says the Lord's gonna judge that. Um, and that's coming. So, so really, if you can kind of read what's happening here in this little microcosm of the Northern 10 tribes, this is the heart of the Lord, I believe. And he talks about this in other passages. Globally, when we get to the same place of these people, he's gonna do that globally as well. Um, that's, that's gonna be that judgment coming when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's called the tribulation period. But I, I'm glad, I'm thankful that you and I and anyone who wants to repent of their sins, the Lord says, I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. I love that. So there's bad news in this chapter, but there's good news elsewhere in the Bible. Praise the Lord for that. Well, let's continue in verse four. It says there in verse four, they are all adulterers, as an oven heated by the baker who uh, ceaseth from raising uh, after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand uh, with scorners for they have made ready their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. Their baker sleepeth at night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. God forbid you guys do this to your turkey tomorrow. <laughs> Put the turkey in the oven and just turn it up on high and then go take a big on three or four, five, six, eight, ten hour nap. And then you come out and you've got a charcoal briquette in the, in the oven. Like, what happened to that turkey? Uh, like, um, you know, that's what's happening here is this baker and these leaders by the, it's interesting how they did it there. Their heart was made ready, you know, um, in the sense that they're, they're kings and they're princes. And the, the word princes there could be translated leaders. So the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel. Um, what were they all doing? It says they were made sick with bottles of wine. The idea is drunkenness, alcoholics. And, and they, were, um, they were, you know, busy, you know, drinking down the brew while they're in an oven being baked and they don't even realize their own destruction and they end up in burning, flaming fire. Verse seven, they are all hot as an oven and have devoured their judges and all their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. 
Uh, Ephraim is, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face and they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek for all of his. So here, you know, it says all their kings are fallen there, it says there uh, in verse seven. Um, you know, the Northern Kingdom did not have one good king in their whole history. You know, from the time Jeroboam split off from Rehoboam, remember the story? Um, the Northern 10 tribes, they never once had a good king. You know, if you, if you were to look back in the historical books and go through the list of the kings of Israel and Judah, you'd, you'd find that Judah, the Southern two tribes, actually had a few good kings. Um, in fact, five of those kings of Judah led real revivals. Guys like Hezekiah and Josiah and some of those good kings of the southern two tribes. Um, but the northern kingdom didn't have one good king in the whole lot. They were all evil, wicked kings. We could talk about, you know, uh, you know, you know, King Ahab and Jezebel. They're they're one of the uh, real, uh, you know, crazy level evil king and queen, but every king was wicked and as, as he could be. They were horrible, horrible dudes. Um, by the way, many of the kings in the north were assassinated. They, they lived a very horrible existence. They were evil kings, but people said, you're evil and we're gonna kill you, and they did. Um, they made nine different changes of dynasty in their short history. Uh, the kings of the northern kingdom start off with Jeroboam, but you, you know he didn't get very far until someone goes in and murders his line. So the line of Jeroboam as the kings, uh, you know, is snuffed out. Another line of kings starts out and it doesn't go very far until someone else is murdered. And uh, several of the kings had short reigns, and their sons didn't even end up making it to the throne. It was just this horrible, you know, failure after failure. Um, one of the things you see in that story of the Northern Kings uh, being assassinated and murdered and evil and all that is people didn't really get that they had a real problem and they didn't know how to fix the problem. Had they repented of their sins and did what the Lord told them to do, I think those kingdoms would have been blessed. But they just kept on sinning and doing against, going against what God's word said and they kept wondering, why is everything going so badly? They scratch their heads and wonder, why are things horrible? The answer, sin always leads to suffering. The way of the transgressor is what? Hard, the Bible says. And God's judgment was upon them. You see, God had chosen and promised to bless the line of David. He made no such promise to the Northern kings who divided there in the North. Um, and, and, and one of the big things here is identified here in a single word in verse eight, Ephraim, Remember, that's a synecdoche kind of thing that's used to sort of uh, talk about the Northern 10 tribes. They call it Ephraim. Ephraim hath mixed himself among the people. Is God into mixture like this? Well, the answer is no. Um, one of the doctrines of Balaam, remember the weirdo prophet from the book of Numbers? I, I call him a weirdo prophet because he was kind of weird. Uh, he's a strange prophet that God did sort of use, but he was also wacko. Um, but it's a strange story. But remember when Balaam couldn't curse the people? Um, and so he, he came up with a way for the people to curse themselves. You know, he'd go to curse the people up on the mountains looking over Israel and, you know, Balak was there. Okay, now curse the people. I'll pay you big money if you curse them. So Balaam would open his mouth and say, 
The Lord bless thee and keep thee and cause his face to shine upon thee, O Israel. Hey, wait a minute, I told you to curse him. I, I tried, but nothing but good words came out of my mouth. Wouldn't that be great if that was your problem? You'd go, you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you up. Hey, God bless you, I love you very much. What? That was Balaam's problem, he couldn't curse him. So, so instead of you know, pronouncing curse, he said, I know how we can curse him, mixture. We can mix the people of Israel with the pagans. You know, and so what did he do? He took the um, Midianites and he said, okay, get all your prettiest Midianite you know, girls, get them all fixed up and put their makeup on and send them down the mountain there from Edom and Moab and have them, have them go down there into Israel and start you know, uh, intermixing with those Jewish boys. But make sure that they have idols in their pockets and that the, these beautiful girls introduce the, the people of Israel to their idolatry. And if you can do that, and all these girls intermarry with the Jewish boys with their idols, they'll curse themselves. And that's exactly what they did. And the Jews became cursed because of their own sin. A mixture. It was called the doctrine or the way of Balaam. That's kind of this idea of mixing it up with the world. Um, you know, all the way back in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, I don't want you to mix things up that don't go with each other. And there's even an analogy. You're not supposed to mix certain kinds of seed and you're not supposed to have a donkey pulling with an oxen and you're not supposed to mix it all up and do things that are, you, you know, he, the Lord wanted them to hold a straight line and not mix it up with the world and paganism. But mixture was that doctrine that would wipe them out. You know, the, the church of Laodicea was that kind of mixture. They were neither hot nor cold. They were a mixture of hot water and cold water is the original language there. And the Lord says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's a nice way of saying vomit. The church of Laodicea was a, a church of mixture. They were sort of mixing it up with the world, but also mixing it up with godliness. And, and it was sort of this, this lukewarm sort of existence. The Lord says, I don't want anything to do with that. I love iced tea. Man, that's, that's great. Just get a whole glass of iced tea on a hot summer day. I love hot tea. Man, that's, that's great and cozy and nice. But lukewarm tea, I spew it out of my mouth. I, I don't like lukewarm tea. And that's, that's like the Lord saying, you know, I would that you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And that's the problem. These people were mixing it up. They were, they were worshiping God over here, but they were also worshiping Baal over there. And, uh, and sadly, that's where they find themselves. Well, um, they're, they're mixing it up. And they're, they're, because of that, they're, they're neither hot or cold. He even kind of uses the, 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 the cake there in verse eight. Ephraim hath mixed himself among the people um, and uh, the, the cake is not turned. And it's what you're picturing. If you put a pancake on the skillet um, and you just leave it there and cook only one side, there's one side's gonna be black, the other one's gonna be doughy. You're supposed to flip it. Um, and that's what the Lord's saying. One side of your cake is burnt. The other side is not even done. And it's because of mixture. You've mixed it up. Um, now, verse nine, strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. When you sin and you do the mixture and you let the, the stranger is sort of the, the Midianite woman that's sort of there. By the way, do you remember um, after this curse of the children of Israel, the, the Midianites were down there. Do you remember what happened? Man, the Midianites and stuff were, were mixing it up with the Jews and there was so blatant in the face of God that there was one Jewish guy and a Midianite woman who were having sex right in front of the tabernacle. You remember the story? And suddenly one dude named Phineas comes out and he takes a, a javelin and throws it and he sticks these two people through. 
They're in the middle of having sex and he shish kebabs both of them at the same time. You're like, wow, that's a horrible story. Yeah, but that's in the Bible. That's another story you probably didn't color in Sunday school, did you? (laughs) But do you remember what happened after Phineas did that? The Lord said, okay, I'm gonna back my anger off because of the way Phineas handled that. Man, that's what we have to do is we have to deal a death blow to our mixed up sinful thing where we're mixing up our Christianity with a bunch of worldliness and, and sinfulness. We gotta deal harshly with it and say, it's time to get rid of that junk and, and, and do it with a fervor. And that's why Phineas ended up being you know, really blessed because he, he dealt with it with real decision and he wasn't sort of playing around or playing games with God. And that's the problem. By this time, the children of Israel were doing all that stuff, but there was no Phineas around to say, man, we gotta break off our sin. We gotta deal with this harshly. And so he says, strangers have devoured your strength, but you don't even realize it. You don't even realize you're getting weak and your gray hairs are here and there on your head, but you don't even know it. What's wrong with gray hair? That's what I have to say. Hey, there's other Bible verses that talk about the gray hair uh, as a place of real honor. That's my life verse. I had gray hair when I was like 16. So, uh, um, but all that to say, um, this, this verse nine sort of reminds me of another person in the Bible, Samson. Because he mixed it up with the Philistines and was sleeping with prostitutes and doing all the kinds of stuff. And, and it says, you know, here in our verse, it says, strangers devoured his strength and he knew it not. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible where Samson was strong for 20 years and judged Israel for 20 years. And he did massive feats of strength. And and eventually, you know, he he found this little gal named Delilah who was a prostitute. And he goes in and sleeps with her. And you know, the first night she lulls him to sleep. Oh, Sammy, big boy, give me the secret to your strength. Okay, if you, you know, if you tie me up with rope, I'll be weak like any of that. So, okay, Sammy, you just go to sleep as she lulled him into sleep that night. And there he is sleeping in her little chambers. I don't know if that's how he snored, but um, anyway, he, he was there and, and the Philistines came in and she said, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And, and they ran in and tried to kill, you know, kill Samson, but Samson whooped him, wipes him out. And Delilah says, you don't love me, Samson. You didn't tell me the truth. Tell me the secret. The next night, same thing. Except this time, oh, you tied me with ropes. Tied green new ropes. Well, that's been tried before in the story, if you remember, but they, they, she lulled him to sleep again, tied him up. Didn't work, he killed the Philistines again. Oh, Samson, you hate me. You're making a mockery of me. <laughs> and she lulled Samson the third night and said, tell me the secret. He said, if you, you know, weave my hair with a weaver's beam, like a sweater. And that's something I'm gonna see in the Bible. I don't understand how that works logistically, but um, a weaver's beam, there's, so there she is. Okay, Samson, go to sleep. And there she is, like she's weaving up his hair um, with a weaver's beam. Um, and, and she says, okay, she's got, she's got her hair, his hair all weaved up. And, and um, some of you ladies are like, I think it's just a weave, you know, adding a little thing. And the, no, that was, it was a weaver's beam that she was using. Well, the Philistines came in and Samson stood up just like he did before, only it says as he was walking around, he had a weaver's beam in his hair. So there he is walking around, ding, 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 this beam. And, and, he, and he wipes out the Philistines. But do you realize he got closer and closer each time? Now he's messing with his hair, which is getting closer to the truth. That's what you and I do. We realize we got through with the first night, the second night. And so we start getting into things that were just a little too close, but we're still pulling it off somehow. But we don't realize what's happening it was that fourth night, Delilah says, you've mocked me, you hate me, 
you don't even love me. And she, it, the Bible says that she bugged him to death. He, he was like to a point of death saying, I'd rather die than have this woman keep bugging me. And so, so he finally says, if you, uh, there's never been a razor to my head. And so, okay, Samson, you go to sleep. But this time she knew that he had told her all that was in his heart. There in the book of Judges, it tells us that she lulls him to sleep and she shaves off his head. And this is where that sad, sad verse comes in that matches verse nine of our text. He did not know that the spirit of God had left him that night when he had his head shaved. He did not know. So he stood up and he said, I will go as before and I will wipe out these Philistines like I did before. But by this time he'd lost all his strength and he ends up being weak like any other man. And so they poke out his eyes and they tie him into a, a, you know, a place where they bind him to a, a grinding wheel and they make him grind. So he's blinded, bound up, grinding at the wheel. That's how we see Samson ending his life. You see, that's the problem. Samson's this amazing illustration of the idea of us sinning to the point of weakness. And we don't even realize that that mixture of sin in our lives is just weakening us, weakening us as people. You know, we just think, man, I just, I'm not on my game as like I was before. I guess I'm not as sharp as I used to be. Or I guess I, you know, people just don't like me as much as they once did or whatever excuses we have. But really, could it be that we're getting weakened by our sin? That's what verse nine says. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth not that it was happening. Gray hairs were there on his head, yet he didn't even know. And the pride of Israel, verse 10, testifies to his face that they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek him for all of this. What a sad, sad part of the story. You know, this is something that you and I have to be careful of. And, and how, how can you best avoid this kind of sin? See, the problem is we, the subtlety of sin, Satan, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. He wants to just slowly lure you and, and you know, kind of get you just dabbling. If he can't get you to do meth tomorrow, he might have you just try to, you know, um, just do a little something, have, have a little lust in your heart for someone or, or something that's small, just have a bad attitude toward your boss or, or maybe just treating your kids with a little bit of anger instead of, you know, dealing rightly in love. Oh, he won't get you to do meth tomorrow, but he's gonna slowly work into you sort of an acceptance of sinful behavior. And then hopefully as the weeks and years go by, before long, you'll be so far off coast, you won't even know what happened. That's the way of the enemy. The best way to avoid that is, I like what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says. It says that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. It's not even abstain from evil, but abstain from even the appearance of evil. Like if it even starts to look like sin, don't even get close to it. Instead of asking how far can I go and still be saved, still be a Christian, still follow God, don't ask that question. Ask how far radical can I be and holy can I be set aside for God's purpose? These people hadn't had that sort of mentality. They were kind of like, yeah, we're gonna play with sin. And they went from, you know, years and years, they went from kind of doing a few little things here and there to now they're just flying in the face of God and the pride of Israel is testifying in his face, verse 10. It's this horrible, horrible situation where Israel finds himself. Well, it goes on there in verse 11. And it says there, um, Ephraim also is like, a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. I will bring them down as the fowls of heaven. I will chastise them 
as their congregation hath heard. Woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I have redeemed them, they have spoken lies against me. Wow, what a sad and horrible description. What's a silly dove? Because some of you are like, I like doves. Why is God calling Israel like a silly dove? Well, this is where National Geographic comes in handy. Have you ever seen what a dove does when the predator is coming? Uh, that's, she's got her little nest with her eggs. What does the dove do? Well, she, she, she get, moves away from her nest and starts flopping around. That's what a silly bird is. She starts flopping around like a dove that's in trouble. The problem with doves, as much as you like them and they're cute, and by the way, most of the time in the Bible, the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But in this case, a silly dove is this dove that, you know, is just flopping around looking like it's injured to sort of lure the predator away from her eggs. But the reason it's silly, if you watch National Geographic, is it's actually just telling the predator, oh, this is a dove and her eggs are nearby. Um, and they know that if you watch it, they'll go and eat the eggs and eat the dove. Um, and that's why she's called a silly dove because her little technique is not working. And that's, the, that's what the Lord's using as an example here. He says, you, you know, you're the silly dove without heart. Um, and, and what are you trying to do? What you're flopping around? Well, the equivalent was this. We're gonna align ourselves with Egypt. We're gonna align ourselves with Assyria. Who cares about God? We don't trust God to save us. So we're gonna, we're gonna make a, a military alliance with these other nations. And they did that. Do you remember what Isaiah the prophet said about this? He said, woe in Isaiah 30, woe unto the rebellious children of Israel for they take counsel of men, but not of me. And they align themselves with Egypt. The Lord accuses them of that in Isaiah chapter 30. And he says, oh, rebellious children, Egypt is gonna not save you. Your enemies are gonna catch up to you. Their arrows will be more accurate than your arrows. Their horses will be more swift than your horses. And you're going down because of your alliance with Egypt. Egypt being a type of? the world, is that what you and I do as silly birds? Aligning ourselves with the world, thinking that we're gonna somehow forget God. I don't know if I can trust God, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it by my own you know, strength and I'm gonna align myself with someone and, and figure it out my own way. I think we do this in so many different ways. Um, what about you know, emotionally? The Lord says, oh, I wanna be the lifter of your head. You know, if you keep your mind stayed upon me, I will keep your soul in perfect peace. But instead the world says, I don't know about God keeping my soul in peace and all that. So I'm gonna just go to the world and go to psychology. I'm not saying all psychology is bad. Some of it's real bad. Um, some of it's just downright evil. But, but people, I've noticed Christians will turn to psychology and, and, and just medicine when it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, not second, first. Uh, I would say, you know, you can seek, you know, medical help and stuff like as far as, you know, for depression and anxiety. I understand they're very real problems and I understand people struggle with those things. But what I worry about is we become a people who say, yeah, forget God on this one. God's not there when I'm depressed. God's not there when I'm feeling anxious. So I'm gonna just forget that. And I'm gonna trust Egypt for their wisdom on how to deal with my depression and my anxiety. And I wonder, are we doing ourselves a real favor there? Something to pray about. I'm, I'm not saying the Lord doesn't use medicine. I'm thankful for medicine. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for medical science. 
But one thing we have to be careful of is not to exclude God when it comes to things like your mental health. People just kind of blow this off. And it's not just me. It's funny how people get riled up when I talk about this stuff, about you know, depression and anxiety. Meanwhile, the world, the secular world saying far too many people are on antidepressants and different kinds of meds that they should not be on. It's not just me saying that, it's the secular world saying, yeah, we've way overprescribed people. And, um, and you can just look that up. But sadly, we as Christians, we should seek first the kingdom of God. And if you've sought the Lord and you've been on your knees praying and, and, then, and then your doctor says, I think you should be on this med and, and you feel a peace in your heart after, after seeking the Lord, then I'd say you can do that, take that medicine with, with joy, knowing that you've sought the Lord first and he's given you that peace in your heart and made the decision rightly. But if you're just saying, I'm just gonna take this because my doctor said it and I'm feeling a little depressed today, um, so I'm gonna take this medicine, watch out for that. That's just one example of how we sort of align with the world rather than, than saying, we're gonna seek the Lord first. Um, man, the Lord's called the great physician. He knows our bodies better than we do. Some of you, 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 you're supposed to trust the Lord and realize that he's the one who's called Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for us. I don't know if the Lord's providing for me, so I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna cut off my tithes and offerings and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give that and, and put a little extra into my bills and I'm gonna just gonna, you know, work an extra weekend and do this and that. And we come up with our old you know, harebrained ideas of how we're gonna get ahead financially when the Lord says, oh man, I've got a certain way I want you to do it. But people say, I'm gonna align myself with Egypt or Assyria. Those two are mentioned here in verse 11. Ephraim's like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt and go to Assyria. Isn't it interesting that the children of Israel actually aligned themselves with Assyria? Remember Tiglath-Pileser, talked about him last Sunday. Tiggy, they aligned themselves with Tiglath and Tiglath was like, yeah, you can align with us, we'll be your friend. <laughs> and they did for like 10 seconds and then Tiglath-Pileser came and stuck hooks in their noses and chained them together and marched them up to Assyria. Um, man, you think the world is your friend. That's what these people thought. But actually they realized it's actually their enemy. And that's what we see, sad to say. So we see that in verses 11 uh, all the way through verse 13. Well, verse uh, 14, it says, and they have not cried unto me with their heart. When they howled upon their beds, they assembled themselves for corn and wine and they rebel, uh, rebel pardon me, against me. Um, most of your translations match the King Jimmy here when it says they assemble themselves. Oh, they have a nice assembly uh, for corn and for wine, and then they rebel against me. But uh, I believe one of the newer translations is that the ESV, what does the ESV say on there? Slash themselves. If you, uh, if you read this in the Hebrew text, you're like, which one is it? Did they have a nice little meeting or did they start slashing themselves? Which one is it? It's probably the slashing. Well, where did they get the, anybody wanna take a stab? <laughs> Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> anybody wanna take a stab and figure out where did they get the idea to start cutting themselves? Baal worship. Remember the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel with, with you know, Elijah? They, they were all day shrieking before Baal, come on, Baal, fire from heaven. And when, they, when the, their, their God, Baal, didn't hear because he's not even real, they started slashing themselves with sharp rocks and making blood gush out of their arms. Um, this is, by the way, not just there in uh, Mount Carmel with the people of Baal, but all throughout history, by the way, cutting yourselves. Deuteronomy 14 
Verse one was one of the laws that prohibited the Jews from doing this practice of cutting your skin. God says, I, I, uh, you know, I extremely uh, am against this idea of slashing your body. And by the way, any destroying of your own body, the Bible kind of says, no, you're not supposed to do that. Um, the idea of cutting yourselves. Um, and, and you know what's so sad today is there's still people today who do that. And a lot of our teenagers, we still see this, pro- this problem of cutting. And it's a very dark and demonic sort of uh, history that goes along with that. You, you need to understand that. Um, but that's what these people were doing. They were doing Baal worship type of stuff. When it says there in verse 14, they, they, uh, they, they've not cried out to me with their heart but they howled upon their beds, probably to Baal is who they're talking about here. And they cut themselves for corn and wine and they rebelled against me. The idea is they were slashing themselves um, and they didn't even know the reason for their own trials and troubles was the fact that they were doing just that. The very thing they were doing to try to help themselves was the very thing that was hurting them. And that's what humanity is really good at. We do that all the time. Verse 15. It says, though I have bound and strengthened their arms, that's a military term, by the way. Um, they strengthen their arms as a military strengthening. Yet do they imagine mischief against me? They return, but not to the most high. They are like a deceitful bow. Uh, you know, a bow that you shoot an arrow, it's not straight, doesn't shoot straight. Um, their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Man, um, you know, they're gonna be wiped out. Uh, they think they've got their bows and all this stuff, but it's all only deceit. And it's only gonna mess them up. Um, what a sad uh, situation. So we see, you know, the prosecution um, sort of move now from the prosecution, chapter seven. Now we're gonna move basically to the punishment uh, section of this court hearing. And that's chapter eight, the punishment, chapter eight. It says here in, uh, in verse one of chapter eight, set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. Um, now pause for a second. Um, so there's an eagle that's gonna come. By the way, this is the Lord talking about a nation. What nation do you think he's talking about? You're like, the United States? God bless America? No, guess what the symbol for Assyria was? It was an eagle. Uh, that's exactly what's gonna come. Uh, he set the trumpet in your mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord. That's what, you know, tiglath Pilaster, his his sign was that of an eagle. And the Lord's saying, that's what's gonna come down on you um, because they have transgressed the covenant and trespassed against my law. When this happens, Israel's gonna cry out something that's really sad and kind of heartbreaking. Um, what, is, what are they gonna cry out? Verse two, Israel shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. Like we're friends, we're bros, Lord. Like, why don't you help us? Uh, we're friends, we're tight. But that wasn't actually the case, was it? Um, Israel thought they were friends with God, but they actually really weren't. What does Jesus have to say about this? This is one of the more scary things because God wanted to have a personal relationship with Israel, but as it turns out, they wanted a personal relationship with Baal and their own sins. And so when Israel cries out, hey Lord, we know you, we're your, we're your people. The Lord's like, yeah, I'm not really gonna hear that because we're not, I'm, not, I'm not your God, you're not my people. 
Remember the, the, the um, you know, child of Hosea and Gomer was called, not my people. What happened there? Well, it reminds really, really of what we read in Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. You guys know this, this is one of those scarier passages in the Bible. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is where the children of Israel are at. But if we're not careful, if you're not careful, if we'd have to make sure that we're saved and that we know the Lord personally, have a relationship with them. How can you have a relationship with God? Well, the first thing you have to do is be saved. Because if you're still in your sins, the Bible says it's your sin that separates you from God, Isaiah 59.1. You're separated from God because of your sin. But when you accept Christ and you repent of your sins, the Bible says that relationship is restored. But one of the things you and I should really be careful about is not to just go through the motions of religion thinking that we're saved and that God knows us. Um, I, I'm worried there's people out there that because they went to mass and they attended church and they were baptized when they were a baby uh, into a certain liturgy or whatever, does that make you a Christian? Do you have a relationship with God just because of that? Well, the answer is no. By the way, so let me speak about infant, infant baptism just for a second. In the Bible, do you ever see a baby baptized? Never. Where did that come from? It was a harebrained idea for some, you know, uh, liturgical Catholic uh, edict that came down. And it was a way to sort of make the parents feel better. Like, oh, my child's baptized, so check, they're good to go. But that's not, that's not the way it works. Um, baptism is a decision that someone's supposed to make. Now, now, don't get me wrong. If your parents baptized you, they were probably doing it as a well-meaning, loving parent. And that's what they were told by their religious leaders. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that. The Bible always associates a word with baptism. Anybody remember what that word is? Do this and be baptized. Repent. When you were three months old, were you able to repent from your sins? Yeah, you didn't even know you are a little sinner yet. You were but you didn't know it yet. You know, that's why you always see someone getting baptized when they're old enough to be cognizant of their own sins. And if you were baptized as an infant and thinking that that baptism box is checked, I think you should say, I, I need to really rethink that. And as, as a person who's an adult and who understands what the Bible says, repent and be baptized, it's an outward profession of an inward commitment. It's a decision that you make to acknowledge that God has taken your sins and buried them in the river and that you come out a new creature in Christ. Um, that's what the Bible says. I mean, I'm just talking about what the Bible says. Um, uh, it's just one of those weird religious practices that was brought into the church a long time ago that has no biblical truth behind it. And I, I worry that there's people because they were baptized as a baby or were baptized to a certain church or whatever, that they somehow have this false sense of security that they know the Lord personally. We've had people come to our church. I remember uh, several years back, this little sweet little old lady, she was in her eighties. And she said, Pastor Brett, I accepted the Lord today at church. And I would have bet a million bucks that she was already a Christian that had walked with the Lord for years and years. But she said, I didn't know that you had to be born again. She said, I had no, I, she said, I, I went to church almost my whole life. 
But she said, until I actually heard what the Bible really said, I realized that I had never accepted the work of the cross. I, I went to church and gave money and did nice things for people and worked in the community and all this. But she said, I know for a fact that I was not saved until today. And she said, I confessed Christ today. And, and she told me about that. And it just, it just made my heart glad because you know, it's tough. The older we get, man, the more stubborn we are. And there's sadly some people that say, I've been to church all my life. I know more about the Bible than you, Pastor Brett, because I've been going to church and all this. But it doesn't have to do with any of that. It has to do with, do you know the Lord personally? Have you been born again? Did you accept Christ? Because the last thing in the world you want to have happen is for at the end, for you to stand before the throne of God and say, but Lord, didn't I go to church every Sunday? Didn't I, didn't I you know, uh, raise the dead and heal the sick and do the... Well, it doesn't matter if you did all that because these guys prophesied, it says in the verse... In the, in the name of the Lord and cast out devils. But the Lord said, depart from me, I never knew you. So watch out, that's the problem with Israel right now. They think they're, hey, we're God's chosen people. But the Lord's saying, uh, no, not really. What a sad thing, don't you? We know you, Lord. Well, verse three, Israel hath cast off uh, the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes and I knew it not. Of their silver and of their gold, if they made them idols, they, have, uh, they may be cut off, uh, that they may be cut off. Uh, verse four is what I told you about, you know, the cutting off of the kings and making new king lines. That's what the Lord is acknowledging. You guys have blown it. Verse five, thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Um, the calf being referred to there is that of Jeroboam. Um, if you recall in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, we read about Jeroboam saying, we're gonna make places of worship. So they made golden calves. Where did they get that idea? Well, if you remember, Egypt. In Exodus 32, we read about, you know, the people said, make us gods. When, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, the people said, make us gods, Aaron. And Aaron made of the people's gold, these golden, this golden calf, and they worshiped the golden calf. These be the gods that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, they said. And man, evil started right there. They were worshiping golden calves. Um, Moses came down and was furious, uh, to say the least. Um, and he said, who is on the Lord's side? If you remember there in Exodus chapter 32, it was the Levites who got out their swords and hacked up everybody that was worshiping the golden calf. That's how seriously the Lord took it. He hacked them up and then they um, you know, smashed the golden calf into bits. And, and you'd think that would be the end of it. You know, after that, Israel would say, uh, note to self, no more golden calves. But Jeroboam said, hey, let's just kind of bring the old calf worship back into the Northern region. And so the people got sucked into this golden calf worshiping again. And the Lord's acknowledging that thy calf, he says in verse five, O Samaria hath cast thee off. Mine anger is against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Verse six, and uh, it says, for from Israel it was also, the workmen made it, therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. Just like the one in Exodus 32, this one will be broken pieces. It's just the work of some man's hands. It's not God. Verse seven, um, for they have sown the, uh, the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock, the bud shall yield no meal. 
If it be so, it, it yield the strangers shall swallow it up. Israel swallowed up, now um, shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. So we've got this basically description of the, what the Lord's gonna do. But there's, there's a kind of a famous verse here, and maybe you noticed it there in verse seven. For they have sown the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Now, this proverb is known in modern times for use in military speeches. There's been, um, you know, uh, generals have said they've sown to the wind, they're gonna weep the whirlwind because it sounds very dramatic, and it is. Um, but what, what, what did Hosea mean when he said this verse seven, for they, they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. The proverb uses an illustration gleaned from agricultural processes of sowing and reaping, you know, the seed. And basically the farmer would sow seed and of course, whatever type of seed he'd plant, that's the plant that would come up. But what they're saying is, you know, the, the principle of duplication, which is usually good if it's good fruit and you're so, sowing seed and you're getting more good fruit, mission accomplished. But God says, Israel, what did you guys plant? Wind. Um, uh, now, some of you are like, oh yes, wind, sustainable energy uh, and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's not really working out if you do the math and look at what's really happening. But, but the idea is Israel's trying to plant the wind um, and all that. Um, but th what are you gonna harvest? More wind. Um, and uh, you're gonna reap a whirlwind. If you're gonna sow wind, you're gonna reap. The idea is you're sowing something worthless and foolish, um, and you're gonna end up in trouble because the whirlwind causes trouble. So we can see the, the, you know, Israel's foolishness in the past would be a storm, a windstorm of consequence. Um, and uh, you know, their foolish pursuit of false gods and uh, all that would reap judgment from the Lord. That's this idea. You've sown to the wind, you're gonna weep a whirlwind judgment from God. Also, this idea is the farmer, you know, planting one kernel of corn, but in the same way, Israel's sin of idolatry would bring forth an amplified consequence of all that would sweep them away in this whirlwind. Um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, in addition to following idols, it says there uh, in, in verse, um, Nine, for they are gone up to Assyria. Remember, they made an alliance with Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Um, a wild donkey is not helpful in the farm process, uh, but it's gonna cause trouble. And it says, Ephraim hath hired lovers. Ephraim, the Northern tribes, how did they hire? They tried to pay off Assyria to be their protector, but it only ends up coming back to get them. That's the problem. So reaping the whirlwind, the Egyptians and the Syrians would be that whirlwind and, and that whirlwind would come in two, uh, 722 uh, BC. Uh, all that is gonna happen to them. Well, it says there in verse 12, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Man, the Lord says, I gave you my word, but you think the word is weird. That's really what it's saying there. Oh, I hope you look at the word of God as it is in truth. The word of God, not the word of man. A lot of people look at the Bible and say, I don't know. Remember when Obama said as the president of the United States, what are we gonna do, follow the Sermon on the Mount? 
What, what was he saying there? He's basically saying, Sermon on the Mount's weird. What are we gonna do? He continued, are we gonna take our children out and stone them to death outside the city? That's a guy who didn't understand how the Bible works. Yes, the Old Testament talks about the Jews and the law, the law of Moses, how if their child was disobedient, they were to be taken outside of the city and stoned to death. But that was the law that the children of Israel couldn't even keep and they never did. God was basically saying, man, you wanna know what the rules are? Here they are, but praise the Lord, it was never meant, to, the, the law never saved anyone. Uh, the law was to drive us to the mercy and the goodness of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the beautiful part of this. And then he goes on, verse 13. They, shall, uh, they sacrifice flesh for the sacrifice of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. What's lacking in this? They, they're coming to bring sacrifice. We talked about this last week. They're lacking repentance. They're bringing their offerings. But remember last week we saw the Lord says, you can bring your sheep and your sacrifices to the altar in Jerusalem, but whatever, it's not gonna do anything for you because you haven't repented of your sins. You're still doing your thing. But check out verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities, but I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Israel hath forgotten her maker. Um, there's, there's three big takeaways I, I take from this chapters seven and eight, and just three things you can jot down in your notes if you want. Number one, this is interesting, here in Hosea 8, 14, it says they have forgotten their maker. Can I just say, this is one of the greatest problems of our world today. You will find that the people that are living contrary to God completely, one of the main things that is a uh, idea that they've come up with is there is no God, atheism. And one of the greatest uh, you know, movements uh, in that way would be the, the theory of evolution. And when a, a people group forgets their maker, like these people there in verse, you know, verse 14, um, when Israel forgot their maker, that, that's a problem. Um, even in Romans chapter one, when God says, man, I'm gonna give up this group of people to their own sinfulness and lust. He says, they neither were thankful or gave glory to God and they, they worshiped the creator, pardon me, the creation, rather than the creator. And it's amazing to me that we're seeing a world and we're even seeing Christians. This one really gets me. Christians that are trying to say, oh, come on, Pastor Brent, don't be such an anti-evolution person. You know, I believe in atheistic evolution. Why, why do you believe in such a harebrained idea? It's almost like Christians wanna sort of be, well, I don't wanna seem stupid and like I'm not into science. Well, if you don't wanna seem stupid and like you're not into science, for sure don't believe evolution. Evolution is a weird fantasy, thinking that over billions and billions of years, it went from prebiotic goo to you. From goo to you. Do you really believe? I mean, man, don't get me started on this one. This, this one's... <laughs> Here's what I would challenge you to do. Look at the real science behind this. Because, you know, they can sort of tell you all these things about the fossils and about the Australopithecus man or whatever, Cro-Magnum man, all these different people over the years they've tried to show. But, you know, I, know, I have dudes that I know they're my friends that could have gone over as Cro-Magnum man or whatever. Well, I mean, I got some pretty ugly friends. <laughs> I can just see in a thousand years, they're gonna dig up my buddies like, ooh. Oh, I think we found an intermediate species here. Uh, 
No, that's just Bill from 2000 or 2021. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm sort of joking, but you know what? What's interesting is the fossil record is so lacking. If it went from prebiotic soup to you, shouldn't we find in our different various strata throughout the billions of years or millions of years on the earth, shouldn't we be able to find millions of intermediate species of people between, you know, from, from the fish that came out of the ocean to, to us? Shouldn't we find all kinds of intermediate species? But the fossil record shows none of that. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, even, you know, uh, Darwin said, man, we got a real problem because macroevolution, uh, there's no fossil record. Even Darwin admitted that. There is evidence of microevolution, and I wouldn't argue that one. That is adaptation. There's a difference between adaptation versus crossing into different species, uh, macroevolution, where you know, it went from a fish to ultimately being you. Um, the, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible says God created humanity as he created them, and he created them in his image. And man, there's just so many problems with evolution. We, we don't even have time to go into it, but I would uh, really have you, if you're one who's saying, I just have listened to my high school teacher and he must be right. Can I just challenge you to just do a little work? It doesn't take much. But even secular evolutionists are starting to jump ship because it doesn't hold water. The theory, it's a theory. They don't call it, some of your, your kind of crazy high school teachers in biology, oh, it's a fact. Evolution's a fact. And they've tried to present it that way. Bible says they would promote things, science falsely so-called in the last days. We're seeing that. But it's the people that are saying, we don't believe in God as a maker, the creator of all things. Well, I believe in intelligent design. Well, if you do believe that, that's great because um, God is intelligent and he did design you, but he did it in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Uh, I'm a literalist. I believe you know, that, that the Lord created and spoke these things into existence. Well, that's crazy, but I think you're crazy to believe that. Okay, so who's crazier, you or me? Because I believe that God, who was able to create something from nothing, I believe God's that powerful, um, that, he, that he just was able to speak. Let there be light, Brrr, the sun. The Lord was able to do that. But, but you, what do you believe as an evolutionist? You believe there was nothing. See, at least I start with something. God, who always was, always has been, always will be an everlasting, powerful, all-knowing God. Uh, I believe that. You believe nothing was there and suddenly there was something. That's crazy. <laughs> Just something from zero, all of a sudden, well, Brett, there was, see, there were these gases in the universe. Where'd the gases come from? These big cosmic cows in the universe? <laughs> Let's capture those flatulence. That's some power out there, methane gas. Uh, AOC's got those little machines that collect the cow flatulence and stuff. It's gonna be awesome to power your, uh, your, your Ford F-350. <laughs> Where did the gases come from? You see, the, the, the evolutionist has the problem of first cause. Where did that come from? Just ask him that. Well, it was the collision of these gases that caused the Big Bang. Where did the gases come from? See, they believe something came from nothing. We believe that God created something that was amazing and we see his intelligent design in all of it. And I'll tell you which one sounds like fantasy. It's evolution. And I'm not even really going into any of the science. I'm not a scientist, but there's some great scientists who have. Don't just glibly, naively do what the world is doing and forget your maker. 
That's what children of Israel had done. They'd forgotten their maker, number one, we see that. And then number two, we see uh, not only did they forget their maker, but also wickedness was openly shown before God. They did it in the face of God. That's what we saw in chapter seven, verse two. Again, our culture not only has forgotten their maker, but we're also wickedly, openly flying in the face of God with our sin. I believe we're moving into the end times because of that. But thirdly, we saw that they were mixing things and opposing God nationally and personally. Personally, they were mixing up with other nations and doing all kinds of sinful things, worshiping Baal, but they were also opposing God by worshiping their their Baal worship and what have you. The parallels that I see today um, are really quite amazing. And I, I think we need to realize that if God says, I'm gonna judge you, Israel, because of your doing this, don't you think the Lord's gonna eventually say, I'm gonna judge the world because it's not just the 10 Northern tribes doing this, it's globally we're moving in this way and we're moving fast. So what do we do? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We, we look for his return and the second coming of Christ. We look forward to that day where the church is raptured to be up out of here. But until then, we keep going for the Lord and don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked into this world. There's a lot of things that sort of look attractive and they seem like they know what they're talking about, but they do not. I think that some of the things we're seeing going on in the world today, politically or whatever, I think it's starting to polarize and some people think that's a bad thing, it may be, but I think there's lines being drawn. And I would call it lines between godliness and lines to wackoness. Have you seen that? Like some people just go, how can people think that way? Well, those lines are being drawn. And the Bible says in the last days, they would do that. They would call good evil and evil good. We're doing that right now. And that line is being drawn. And the children of Israel, sadly, by the time Hosea got to these people in the north, they'd already been sucked over to the other side. And they were all whacked out. But the Lord has called us. What did he say? He said, come ye out from among them. Be ye, what? Separate. Be ye separate. That's that mixture. Don't be mixing it with other, these other people that are, be separate, come out from a, don't get sucked into their, their mindful, you know, rebellion against God. I, I do worry about it because, you know, you guys are probably, I'm probably pre- preaching the choir. If you're crazy enough to come to a Wednesday night Bible study, um, they're, they're, you're probably more open to truth uh, than most. But that's why I think we need to really lean heavily on you to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. There's people that would never set foot in a church like this. There's people that would never listen to a Bible teaching online or YouTube. They'd, they'd just look at it and go, yeah, whatever. Um, but maybe you're the one who can, you won't preach it like I'm preaching it, and that's okay. But maybe you can go out there and say, I'm gonna just show people how really erroneous certain mindsets are and do it in a loving kind of way and then show them the truth of Jesus Christ because that's what people need. They need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. These people, they're going down, they're gonna be hooked, taken, and it's a sad, sad story, the Hosea story. It's a sad story that's gonna repeat globally, but good news, the people that are saved, that love Jesus, the Lord's gonna take them out before that happens. We need to be busy about that, sharing the good news of Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord, how thankful we are. As we study this passage, it really is kind of uh, shaky. Uh, as we look at what they believed and how they mixed it up in their day, we see that same propensity today, Lord, in our own hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that in these days that we live, that we wouldn't be lured into believing godlessness and 
worldliness and some of these worldviews that are being so quickly accepted. But Lord, I pray that we would be all about your truth. Show us, Lord, how to uh, give out truth in love, but I pray that we wouldn't wimp out and, and be afraid either. Lord, uh, you tell us in your word, the wicked flee when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Lord, give us that boldness in these days. May our light shine before men. May people be drawn to your truth and the truth of scripture. So we pray your blessing, Lord, on these your people who've taken this time on a Wednesday night. We do thank you for all the blessings, Lord, on this Thanksgiving Eve. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. Um, Lord, we thank you that even though our nation is, we admit so uh, much in so many ways contrary to you, but we also realize that you've been gracious to our nation. Lord, we have so many things to be thankful for and, and we do take this moment just to be thankful, Lord. And I pray that tomorrow would be marked with a heart of thanksgiving, not just the, the mouth of thanksgiving, but the true heart, Lord, that we would be grateful to you for every good and perfect gift comes from you, Lord. We, we applaud you, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.